Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today we're joined by Tom Flores, the longtime brewmaster at uh, Brewer's Alley and Minoxi Brewing Company, and often referred to as a man who is... There have been plenty of brewers that have pointed you to you as someone who's greatly helped them <laughs> with questions or at some point in time. So That's thank cool. you for coming in, Tom. Thank you very much for having me. So it's actually recently I'd, I had asked for um, suggestions on who I should have on. And a bunch, several people had mentioned that had voted for Minoxi Brewing <laughs> or Brewers Alley. And I thought was like, well, I've had Tom on and I've had... <laughs> And actually, I think they specifically said Tom Flores okay. and then listed them. And I was like, have you been on? And then, then I went back and looked. And I was like, you were actually kind enough to come on on episode two. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> so there were, I'm going to guess the vast majority of our listeners have not listened to that episode. It goes so, pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. So we're at, this will probably be like episode 142. So okay. there have been quite a few in between since the last time we talked. That's great. It's a lot of ground to cover. So, and I don't, I should have, if I was a professional, I would have listened back on that episode, but also <laughs> it was so old, it doesn't matter. Um, you have a very long history um, brewing. So can you give us our, your background of how did, how did you become a brewer? Okay. And I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> um, I was a home brewer at one time, um, actually, um, I'm not advocating underage drinking, but I was in high school, um, and you know, legally, it was legal legally, <laughs> legally, it was the possession of my parents. It was theirs because it was in their house. Um, but you know, for me, it was all about the process, learning. Well, actually, depending on where you live, it is le- it is legal to drink under the drinking age if you're with a parent that permits it. And I could be completely making that up, so we'll just yeah. strike that comment and go back to your story. The safest thing to say <laughs> is it was in the late 80s in yeah. Maryland, so <laughs> who knows. But um, but the, the interest started when I had a job at a place called Bray & Scarf. Um, they had a, a place in Beltsville. It's delivering uh, appliances all over the D.C. area, um, Montgomery County and whatnot. And we went to this one, one guy's house um, that uh, had a washer and dryer set, and we were coming down the basement, and as we turned the corner in this basement with all these carboys just bubbling away. And this was long before, like, the anthrax scare and bioterrorism and all that stuff. <laughs> like, I didn't even think, like, oh, this is something scary. I looked yeah. at it. I was like, that's kind of cool. What is that? Got to talking to the guy and uh, told me he was a home brewer. And I was like, oh, that's, okay. That's sure. a good point. I guess it, now if you were mm-hmm. someone that had absolutely no idea what home brewing looks like, yeah. if you walked into a basement and <laughs> saw that, your your first thought probably wouldn't be, I want to know, like, a pleasant, I want right. to know what yeah, that yeah, is. Exactly. It's, it's more of like, how quickly it, do I need to run? <laughs> well, after the, the conversation went, you know, we're, we're done the work and we're ready to get going. But the guy who was, who was driving, you know, who uh, was basically my boss, um, you know, because I was his assistant, um, I asked him, I was like, is it okay if I just have a, like a sip? He's like, just don't get me in trouble. <laughs> so <laughs> this guy in, you know, the house in Montgomery County and we're done with the work, everything's packed up and ready to go. And he poured this barley wine and just a little, I mean, it's before I could even bring it to in my mouth, like just the smell alone, like the aroma coming off of it. I was blown away. I was like, this is beer. Cause I, I grew up, you know, my uncles and granddad's knees with, you know, 
national premium and you know uh, far back enough gunther's like these beers from baltimore's heyday that they all loved and that's, that's a, all. That's all I knew of beer. You that's know? a pretty and, big jump from that to a barley wine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but it was just it was so rich and complex and and stunning to me. I'd never experienced a flavor like that, a flavor profile. And so I was like, that's really cool. So I took a sip and I was like, thanks, Roy. Thanks for letting me. You know, as the driver, I was like, thank you. And you know, finished out the day and then went went home and was hanging out with some friends that night over. Uh, one of you know one of their houses out and I was like hey yeah we went to this guy's house and he's a home brewer and blah 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 telling the whole story and my friend's father was passing through the room right then he said you know I used to home brew we're all were like really he said yeah I got all my equipment in the basement you want it and so me and my friends were all like yeah for sure and then it just kind of went from there and that was in the summer of 86 and we just started fiddling and then the first batch was awful um I mean you know it's just like we wanted to make a stout and it was just like ashtray, <laughs> no balance whatsoever. But, uh, but you know, pretty quickly we kind of got some adeptness to it. And it was just this hobby. And so, you know, do you know, great. have you ever met someone that said that their first home brew was good? Do I have to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, I've never met anyone. Everyone always listens that, that, that it's like, I brewed my first batch. It was absolutely <laughs> awful. <laughs> Um, and even I, the first time I brewed, it was with Ted Gregory, who yeah, had yeah. been home uh-huh. brewing for a long yeah, time. Yeah, he's a good brewer. It, it turned mm-hmm. out bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I, even know, having of, the help of someone who knew what they were doing. It's true. It and part of it, too, could be you know, it's something you're really excited about and you have these expectations I, that you have no way to set them. Like you're starting yeah. from nowhere. Like where, where do you put it? And so, you know, it's normal. It could be your own worst critic to, you know, yeah, so, so it may actually may not be all that bad, but you've built up in your mind but I how met, amazing it's going to be. I've met be. a handful who've made amazing beer from day one, and that's a whole other thing. But um, Some of the people I know that you probably know, too, I bet I could guess, but we're not going I, to. Exactly. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Do I have to answer that? Um, but, uh, but anyway, so, you know, did that, and, and literally it was just just at the house. Like, it didn't go anywhere outside of the house, and sometimes I'd do it over, over my cousin's house. Um, another good friend that day that was with us when we we're, he's now actually a brewer. Um, so two of us out of this experience became professional <laughs> brewers, which is really cool. Um, Where are they at? In uh, Springfield, Missouri. Okay. Um, his name is Ashton Lewis. He works for BSG, his brewer supply group. Uh, but he worked for many years for uh, Paul Mueller Company for a I see a lot of BSG hats on brewers. Yeah. Well, BSG is <laughs> a great company. They really are. Um, they provide a great service. Um, not just buying and selling goods, you know, supplies, but they offer um, a lot of knowledge, you know. So um, it's a great job for him. He's, he's very well versed in the art and science of brewing and great position. So it's kind of neat to look back way back, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, just this hobby. And it's turned into this thing that we're both now uh, professional brewers. Um, but where it kind of connects to where I'm at now is, um, you know, I went – from from high school um, and in college continued this hobby again just kind of quietly just at my parents house I was fortunate enough to uh, be able to commute to school um, and then near the end of my time in college um, I, I was in the chemistry program University of Maryland so my um, degree is in biochemistry and the more I learned about the chemistry of life just the, the inkling of what we know um, is the mechanism just at the molecular level how life actually works and, and the movement of energy through living systems and the organization and just it's is exquisite it's it's really amazing it's mind-boggling and and um, 
I'm amazed I made it through my degree. But um, <laughs> anyway, I, I kept seeing how um, this knowledge that I was gaining kept tying to this hobby that I had because it's a living process. Brewing is a living process. And um, at a certain point, I began to think, you know, I wonder if there's a way to actually do this for a living. Like, you know, it's this hobby. It's great. And I'm, who knows what kind of career path I'm on, but maybe this is something that could, could be a, a, you know, a profession. And, um, and in that time span, uh, this friend of mine who's in, works for BSG, um, his dad found an article about uh, University of California, Davis and uh, professor Michael Lewis who had started the brewing program there. And it was just an article just talking about the history of the program and what they offered and um, the credentials required to get in and all this kind of stuff. And we both were like, man, that's pretty cool. Now, he was in a position to finish his degree and, and apply and get in right away. I was taking some extra classes and thought I wanted to get a second degree in history, which I came really close to. But <laughs> just the opportunity to go to Davis came up. I applied. I got in. And I actually went the next year after he did. So we were both there at the same time. Um, and so I, I've, I don't know how I got a couple more classes if I ever want to finish that history degree, but, um, that's where I got into the maybe professional you can get an honorary one. Maybe. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Living history. Um, but that program, um, was pivotal for me because that was the, the moment I got accepted there was where I, I really began my professional track. Now in the summer before I went, so the year before I went to Davis, I, I worked at the Wild Goose Brewing Company in Cambridge, Maryland. It was summer 91. And I did that because I, I really, you know, knew about this program at Davis, was in the process of, of applying. But I'm a real experiential type of learner. I have to kind of do it to really know it. And so I thought, you know, let me just be sure. Because it's a fun hobby, but who knows? I might hate the work. Yeah. You never know. So um, I went down there in April of that year. Um took a tour just, you know, like just off the street kind of just with the regular tour. And um, Alan Pugsley, who was the founding brewmaster there, was giving the tour. And we ended up long after the tour, still in the lab talking and, you know, chatting about beer and telling him about my hobby. And um, he was getting hungry, I guess. So he said, let's go to the Blue Crab. Let's just hang out and have, have a beer and some dinner. And all right, great, you know. So that's where we went. Met him over there. Um, had a great meal and, and good time and just could tell he was really passionate about what he did for a living. And I thought, you know, I could see myself in that kind of position, you know, potentially running an operation, loving every minute of it, uh, being really keen on, on the, the creative side of things and also the technology and the fusion of the two. And so at the end of the conversation, I said, well, do you have any openings this summer? I mean, I, I want to try to see if this is something I could do for a living. He said, well, we might, it's only April, but you know, it does get busy. So just go ahead and send me a resume. I said, give me a second. <laughs> so ran out to the car, grabbed the resume I had prepared because I was hoping for this opportunity and was able to pounce. Gave it to him. And he's like, oh, okay, you came prepared. He's like, I'll be back with you. And, you know, I told him, I said, all right, if I don't hear anything in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll be bugging you. And I didn't hear anything. So I called him, oh, well, we haven't gotten to it yet. We haven't figured out. Call me back in a few more weeks. So a few rounds of me bugging him, I guess, to shut me up. He said, fine, just come on down and work for the summer. <laughs> And so I did. I'll hand you a mop. <laughs> pretty much. That's what I told him. I was like, I'll do whatever. It doesn't matter. I just, I just want to know before I make this massive step. Like, it's a big deal to yeah. move all across the country, go into an advanced degree program because, you know, it's just, it's just it's a big deal. And at least for me, it was. Um, it wasn't just something I was going to do to pass time. Um, I had real intent with it. I was, like, really after something. 
so um, anyway, I did that, and within I mean within a couple of days, just knew like surrounded by this the smell of you know the aroma of mash in the 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 noise of the bottling line like all these things happening like I was like oh, this is this is amazing this is what a brewery is like this is so cool <laughs> loved it and so you know worked my tail off that summer um, lived down there during the week drove back up across the Bay Bridge for the weekends um, and I was dating a girl at the time who's now my wife <laughs> so uh, you know we spent a lot of time together uh, that summer she came down and visited and I went back home and visit you know so it was a lot of driving back and forth and getting up you know mashing at five in the morning and long hot days and uh and also long cold days because there'd be some days i was in the cold box all day long and i'd go and i'd sit out in the car this would have been like you know early august in cambridge maryland I, literally <laughs> i would sit in there for like five minutes just baking and soaking in the heat before i'd even turn the car on <laughs> until i you know start to break a sweat but uh anyway even you know with those kinds of hardships you know the extremes yeah. of temperature and just being on your feet all day and running around like crazy like that that just that spoke to me because i'm I'm very kinetic. I, I have a hard time sitting still for very long. Um, I enjoy how there's so many disciplines that impinge on brewing that that you draw from, and um, you know just the the sheer fruitier labor. At the end of the day, I clearly remember one day it was, I mean, I'm, I was like I don't even whatever I was early 20s. Never had been in a brewery before, and within like a month's time, I was running a brew. But I, I remember one of the very first brews that I was casting out. I was there by myself, and they had open fermenters, and there was a hop back that they would use so that the hot work from the, the kettle would go through this to the heat exchanger into the cellar, and it was charged with, um, with hot water, with, so the hops would be in there waiting, it was hot water, and so the first, like, however many gallons coming out of the end of the hose, and literally we had this, like, fan, like, nozzle on the end, and we would cast out into this open fermenter and, like, to aerate, <laughs> that was how we aerated and I just remember, like, this, this green liquid came flying out. And I was like, wow, that smells amazing, you know. I had been there before doing that with, with um, you know, the, the guy who taught me. But it was just, like, my own, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and so I, you know, I'm watching Cast Out. And by the end of Cast Out, I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, wow, that's that's 25 barrels, you know, however many gallons. That's, that's a, lot of, a lot of pints. And I'm just looking at that. I'm like, in a month's time, there's going to be a lot of happy people, you know, <laughs> just enjoying. Yeah. You know, it was the wild goose amber. Uh, it was, and anyway, it just that idea of the tangible fruit of your labor, vigorous physical and sensory engagement with the process, um, the the creative side of things, um, the technology, and 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 you know, drawing on on so many fields of study and discipline that that variety of, of interest that really caught me. And so at that point, I was like, I know for sure I'm going to, I'm going to go to Davis. I'm going to finish that program. Um, and then I was very fortunate. Um, while I was there, Dr. Lewis had a, a class that he was given, uh, before the craft brewers conference that year was in Portland, Oregon in 94. And this class was, uh, it was on the technology of, of brewing and it was for people just beginning to open up their own brewery and wanting to learn a little bit more about just the technical process of brewing. So he asked um, another graduate student and myself, um, the other guy is Scott Ungerman. He's the brewmaster at Anchor now. Um, great, great guy. Spent a lot of years at Anheuser-Busch, uh, really knows his stuff. Um, and the two of us helped Dr. Lewis with that class. And to me, it was like, okay, here's an opportunity to learn about public speaking and sort of 
engaging on your subject matter because you know purportedly you're an expert by the time you get a master's which <laughs> I, I didn't know that much by the time I came out you think you do at that age but you don't then you learn how much you, you don't know exactly yeah if you're honest with yourself um and so you know we, we did the class we dutifully prepared got everything done and you know and and at the drink up afterwards which is very customary you know have a, a couple of coolers full of ice with with beers in them um I saw a guy in the class uh Hugh Sisson um who I recognized because one of my cousins and I had taken a tour at Sisson's Pub uh, the, the year before. I'm not even sure he remembered that, uh, Hugh. But anyway, I, I recognized him and I introduced myself and, and with no um, you know, presupposition at all, anything to lead to a job, it was just, hey, as another Marylander. We're all the way on the West Coast. Like, I don't yeah. know any of these people. Different culture. Like, I was like, oh, it's cool You to like see. Old Bay. I like Old Bay. Yeah, like- exactly. It was kind of like that. It was like, <laughs> hey, I'm, you know, I'm native Marylander and uh, great to see you. And, and we got to talking and we had a great conversation. And uh, he was telling me a little bit about um, the initial thoughts of Clipper City, which became Heavy Seas. And uh, so I thought, oh, it's a great conversation. You know, I hope, hope this guy does, does well. And, you know, whenever I finish, hopefully there'll be a, a brewery where I come home to visit because I had no idea where I was going. I was like, maybe I'll go swing by and say, hey. But the next day, Scott, um, you know, my, my classmate who was, who was helping with the class, he, uh, he said, you know the guy you were talking with yesterday? He's looking for you. This is on the trade show floor at the Craft Brewers Conference. And I was like, yeah, yeah, what, what do you want? He's like, he wants to offer you a job. <laughs> I said, what? Really? Are you serious? So I tracked him down. We sat down and, and one of the tables right there in the middle of the, uh, you know, the, the trade show and came to this verbal agreement that I was going to help him with starting up the brewery and do what I could from, from my end as far as, you know, the, the, some of the technical stuff. And, and he was, you know, the entrepreneur, he's the business uh, side of things, raising all the, the funding, uh, getting a location. And, and so, um, you know, we did a lot of correspondence. Back then, it was a lot of faxes. <laughs> and we, I can't even remember if we emailed that much, but a lot of it was faxes, um, like, you know, drawings of sites and different things like that. And, and it was a great experience. And he really took a risk on me because, I mean, I only had three months of professional brewing, you know, at, at Wild Goose, and a handful of years as a home brewer, and then this degree. And I also... While I was there at Davis, um, sat for what used to be called um, the Institute of Brewing, um, IOB, uh, and now it's the Institute of Brewing and Distilling, IBD. But they have a, an internationally recognized level of credential where you sit for the associate membership exam. And it's and it's exam, it's like a day and a half. You, you, all morning one day, all afternoon the next, all morning, I mean, all morning one day, all afternoon, then all morning the next day and rigorous questions um you know there's there's engineering there's um you know the the science of of yeast and fermentation and malting and and growing of barley and hops and i mean a lot of is really it, i would probably flunk it if i were to do it like just cold because <laughs> you have to really prepare even yeah. people that have been in the industry for years they study independently to take it and the pass rate isn't that great so it's a really difficult exam but i did that passed and had this degree and then a few months of professional brewing and some home brewing and he's entrusting me with helping him start up this brand new brewery yeah. so it was a lot of pressure and so i knew I, you were the first brewer there mm-hmm. but so you i mean i guess you were probably employee number one then right or yeah. i guess two if i guess count so. him so. yeah i mean he no that's true he's the managing partner i think is the title the way the company's organized um i can't remember anyway but the, the fact is 
I took a really big risk on me, and I did everything I could, you know, did my level best to deliver, you know, to the best of my ability, and it was a lot of, a lot of long days. I mean, 80 to 100 hour weeks in the first hour, I don't even remember how long it was. It was, it was, it was a, it was a lot of hard work, and that's typical of a lot of startups. And yeah. you know, it's just you, at that at that point in time, um, it was in the early to mid 90s. So there was like this little bit of a boom that got deflated. I don't know if you remember that. Um, I wasn't, it was. Uh, it was I wasn't of, old enough to drink. Okay. All right. Well, it was kind of <laughs> like the end of the second wave and then before the third wave began. And, um, and it was hard. And the thing is, there was a lot of, a lot of people getting into the industry who didn't really know the craft, um, thought there was this new hot thing that you could make a quick buck at. And there was a lot of bad beer going out. And so then consumer interest at large took a hit. And so all of us craft brewers as a whole sort of suffered from a little bit of a stigma of, oh, we'll stick with the brewers who know what they're doing, the big guys. Yeah. And these craft brewers, ah, I don't know about them. So it was like, for me, it's, it's painfully real when I, when I survey the landscape and, and encourage brewers to do the best they possibly can do because it, it affects all of us. If you have somebody who's never had a craft beer and their first one is, is poorly executed in some manner or form, I don't know what, but I'm sure there's examples you've, experience oh, and definitely. For, for that person they're going to be like i don't know if i yeah, want to gamble i'll go next back time. to drinking bud light yeah <laughs> yeah so i clearly remember like the reality of of what happened there uh in that era so anyway that was um you know my, my time at, at clipper city was was fantastic it was amazing it was really formative for me and um and i do believe i you know i gave everything i could to to hugh and 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 the team there and um, and it's really rewarding to look back now and, you know, I run into Chris Leonard, he's the brewmaster now, and it's just really cool to just see the job he's doing and, and, you know, how heavy seas has learned, you know, they've adapted. Clipper city has adapted. They rebranded into heavy seas and they're doing really well. Yeah. And, um, it's just, it's really exciting to, to see, you know, I had a little part of that, like the foundational, like I'll go yeah. in and I'll see like the bedrock the, was literally like that concrete pad where, where the tanks are and everything. I mean, I remember digging those trenches myself. <laughs> like we had, there was uh, the crew for the the, the uh, concrete crew. Like they had to tie all the rebar and get everything in there. Um, they they were scheduled for the next day, and we weren't quite ready. The general contractor, uh, I guess, maybe didn't have everything finished yet. And I knew, man, if we don't get these done, like they're it's going to hold up the, you know. And I and I was digging until I don't know, probably eleven o'clock at night by myself. Yeah, probably not the best idea, but I was like, <laughs> going to do it, going to do it. And yeah. and now like I I see it there, and it's like. I did that, you know, it's, I don't know. It goes back to that idea of like the tangible fruit of your labor at the end of the day, you know, to have something literally concrete that you can point to and say, I had a part in that. So it's really neat to see the legacy um, of that. You know, that was my first job out of brewing school and, you know, they're still a vibrant part of the Maryland brewing scene and, and they've inspired a lot of people along the way as well. And a lot of brewers that have worked there over the years and, and learned their craft there yeah, um, I feel like they're they're kind of going through a reinvention again now. Maybe not as the whole industry uh, is. Yeah, <laughs> and the, maybe not as extreme as when they went from Clipper City to being mm -hmm. heavy seas. But they like with their fifteen barrel uh, program that they're doing yeah. with um, doing a lot of the beers that Hugh doesn't like. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, maybe he says that I don't yeah. know, but he, but it doesn't matter. I mean it. Our, our, our beer drinkers that are coming there or buying their beer out in the trade, 
do they like it? That's yeah. really all that matters, you know? And Hugh recognizes that. Yeah. Well, it was just funny. when we had him on, I think, I don't think he said it like definitively, yeah, but yeah. there was something along the lines of not wanting to ever like do a well, sour. And then oh, it was, so funny, it was yeah. only a few months later yeah, that yeah. they started like just churning out sour. Maybe it was a little bit of an intentional <laughs> ruse, you yeah. know, just the ribia. Who knows? But, but th- at the end of the day, I mean, you can't argue matters of taste. So, yeah. um, you know, the, the industry as a whole is experiencing, um, you know, some changes in terms of beer drinkers' expectations of what beer is and ought to be. And, you know, sometimes, especially with older, older, old time, I don't know, like old school brewers, maybe. Veteran. Yeah, veteran. Thank you. Yeah. Hey. Um, I don't want to accuse myself of being too old. Uh, but experience. Sometimes, but sometimes <laughs> a little bit of a disconnect, you know, because it's like yeah. uh, sometimes it honestly it gets to the point where you're wondering, is it weird simply for the sake of being weird? Like a, a gimmick, it, it sometimes just, is it a gimmick or is it not? I mean, it's hard to tell because it's all, it's an art. Yeah. So, I mean, it's subjective and so where I, I'm I not s- going to judge, you know? It's so just, it's, it's actually the, the, um, you're someone I should have reached out for a quote on this because you, um, the cover story for the current issue of uncapped, mm-hmm. it, the, it's has craft beer jumped the shark because oh, people okay. started saying that with the the no it, i mean it definitely has <laughs> and it's ridiculous it, yeah. but it was just a way for people to um or the craft beer purists to um throw shade on like the cereal beers and um well, all beers Based on cereal, basically, yeah. <laughs> but no, like, well, specifically, there was the brewery. Right, I mean, I know you live. Yeah. Well, no, well, yeah, there was the fun, but um, th- there was a brewery down in Virginia that made a beer out of Lucky Charms, mm-hmm. although it wasn't even Lucky Charms; it was a generic version. So. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> and and they got a ton of publicity. Mm-hmm. Then Duclaw came out with Unicorn Farts that had. It was made with fruity pebbles and has glitter in it. So yep. a lot of people were criticizing both of those. Um, there were some of the quotes I got from people like Kevin Blodger has very strong feelings to the mm-hmm. negative yeah, <laughs> about yeah. those types of things. But like my opinion is that as long as it's good, it's well made and you drink it and you enjoy it, who cares? Well, and that's the thing is it's that fun. It, that, that standard you set forth who's to determine it you say as long as it's good well to whom you know it, it's intrinsically subjective yeah well i mean there's so. i mean there's object there's definitely bad beer that has flaws or is it's yeah i mean i guess uh, taking it back to like my time at, at clipper city um looking back at the way i viewed the brewing process and the way i did what i did um I would, at that time, faced with the set of circumstances we have today, I'd probably be a little more militant in terms of like, <laughs> you know, like you say, the, the purist or whatever. Um, I don't know, maybe I've gotten soft in my old age, but <laughs> but I I understand first, and for, first I, I know that, that brewing really is an art form. We employ technology, uh, we employ the, the tools of science and the, the body of knowledge that's built from employing the methods of science, um, you know, scientific method itself. Um, those are all very important for brewing consistent beer um, and, and hitting your target. Like you have this mind's eye view of what it is you want to achieve, but without any sort of um, understanding of, of the 
the technical process, how likely are you to hit that mark? You know, if you have a total absence of just a good technique. Um, and, I, and I assert that, that, it, that brewing is an art form um, as, as a kind of a, a presupposition. But, but I back it up just by asking who judges whether the experience you're having with the beer is, is a good one or not. You. No, right. No one yeah. else other than you. That's intrinsically subjective. So the, I can, you can use an analogy, um, or a few of them actually. Uh, take any of the other arts, um, dance, uh, music, uh, painting. Uh, music maybe is a good one because there's a lot of um, music theory. There's a lot of uh, math involved. You know, if you look at you know, harmonics and, and even uh, time, um, it's very measurable. Uh, there are some objective references. Uh, concert A is always 440 hertz, at least in the Western world, uh, no matter where you go. And, you know, the oboe will, will play that note because if that one's out of tune, it's the worst instrument to be out of tune. So everybody tunes to that. It's like this standard. But the piece that gets played that can bring you to tears, depending on what it is, that's the art form. You rely on, on the, the techniques, the technology. Um, you know, instrumentation is, is always adapting and changing, and there's new materials they use for, for, for pads on a clarinet and, and so on and so forth. So uh, maybe, maybe a professional clarinetist will say only cork will do. I don't know. But um, painting is, is another good example. You know, if, if you don't know media, if you don't know how to mix colors, if you don't know the, the fundamentals of your art form, um, you know, those techniques, you're going to be limited in their absence. And, and really, it's, it's about self-expression. As a brewer, it, it, that's a lot of what the joy is, is self-expression. So if you're going to hinder yourself by not learning those fundamentals, maybe you think you're too cool for school. I mean, honestly, like I see that. I don't want to go down that road. But my point is there, <laughs> that this idea of, um, of subordinating the art form of brewing to the realm of science, I think, is, is flipping it on its head. And, and as somebody trained in science, I mean, I have a biochemistry degree and a master in food science and technology. Like, I understand science. I know it. I'm not, you know, a scientist. I'm not, I wouldn't purport to be. Um, I know plenty of really good scientists. But, but I know it, it, as I execute the craft of brewing that I view all of that simply as a tool. And it's not to diminish it in any regard, but to recognize its proper place. There's another tool that we utilize, and that's the palette. That reigns supreme. It is a subjective tool, um, but a really cool way that you can take those subjective evaluations and make them into something that is objective knowledge is through a sensory panel. And sensory science is a really good example of, of the interface between the art form and the scientific endeavor of, of brewing science, brewing technology, the engineering, all of that, um, because that that interface, you're you're taking all these people in a panel who have individually different experiences. They're subjective, and you're you're presenting a, a sample to this panel and eliciting a response that's subjective. But then you're going to analyze it and interpret it in a way that turns it into something that's objective knowledge that is actionable. You can make a decision. You know, for instance, you have um, a beer you, you 
put in package, whatever, bottle, can, keg, doesn't matter. You have it and there's some question of, you know, is it beyond its shelf life? Like, is this beer still good? Uh, has it changed? You can present it to a panel and get a very clear and objective, just let the numbers speak, answer of, do we need to pull this out of trade? Is it wrong right now? Do we not even package it? We just dump it? I mean, you can do that, like in an objective yeah. way. So it that to me is is a lot of the fun of of this endeavor that I'm in is 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 recognizing the the um, the beauty of self-expression um, that it is an art form and that I get to utilize all these really neat tools because I'm a little bit of a gearhead too, you know. <laughs> um, so for me, it's fun to pipette, you know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's weird but you know it's also really fun to to do a little bit of for lack of a better term dead reckoning when it comes to you know percentages of malt in a grist you know you've created a grist composition that you've never done before it's like well a little more caramel 120 or not quite enough like that and you don't really know till you do it so anyway the analogy well, that's to one thing i would say from from brewing beer with you mm -hmm. you take a very analytical scientific approach you you do a lot of measurements and using mm -hmm. numbers and a, a, a scientific basis to there it's it's just to the art form on there's a strong foundation of the science yeah. before the art is layered onto it yeah I, I think it's that's a good way to put it and in other words um like with the mic'd up mango you know I remember we had a lot of discussions about the level of acidity yeah and you know recognizing that there was some acid coming in from the fruit and doing the, the kettle sour and like where that would all end up. It, it's not to say that a number is going to tell you everything about how that beer is going to taste, you know, the acid taste, yeah. but, but setting some sort of limits, um, some sort of understanding of approximately where you're going to be in, in a beer that has this expected overall flavor profile. If the acidity level is here versus here, we're just kind of getting your expectations set and it just gave us kind of a starting point um so it may have seemed like i was making a really big deal about it because there were titrations involved it and, didn't and all seem this. Like, no, it okay made, it made sense right. okay like, cool good <laughs> and i think we can all agree it was an amazing beer oh, well thank you <laughs> appreciate that um and and so that i guess that whole thing of the jump the shark idea just to tie this back together it at the end of the day i really do I myself personally don't have a problem at all with brewers all over the place expressing themselves through this art form, through this craft in ways that to me personally potentially just aren't going to resonate, but that's okay. They might too. Could, yeah. I love being surprised, but to just sort of shut it down and say, well, that's not pure beer. <laughs> like, okay. And, uh, you and know. as I said, the way I look at it, if it tastes good, yep. who cares? I, I I have always looked at the whole idea of craft beer or any kind of craft um, artful expression of things is about fun, having Absolutely. fun. Absolutely, yeah. So so what if there's a gimmick involved in it? <laughs> if if it brings a smile to my face and yeah. it tastes good, I don't care what they did. A, well, I to get to that point, you had me until you say, so what if there's a gimmick involved? The only thing I'll say about that is just, well, if it's the, gimmick for gimmick's exactly, sake, I kind yeah, yeah. of have, but right. so for me, there, there needs to be uh, some authenticity yeah. there. Like you, you gotta be honest about what you do because if, if what you're implying by offering this is 
is the fullest extent of self-expression through this art form. If there's a gimmick, you're lying. You didn't express yourself. You're yeah. doing something different. You're pointing somebody in another way that's not you. Just for the sake of, I don't know, the next sale, I guess. Yeah. Um, completely unrelated. Do you know that almost all of Bob Ross's paintings are stored in Herndon, Virginia? Really? Yeah. There was, I watched the New York Times video last night. <laughs> where, about, where in Herndon? Like in a vault? or <laughs> No, no. that's the funny part too. There's Some like, dude's house? <laughs> barely, no, there's there's an office of, huh. of Bob Ross Incorporated where they basically just spread the brand of Bob, Bob Ross. They should auction those off and create like a foundation with they, their money or something. To, in that vi- the New York Times video, they said it's never even crossed their minds about selling them. I mean, they're like thousands of them because he, he painted three versions of every painting. Yeah. And then there were, I can't remember how many episodes they said, but there are thousands and thousands of them, but it's impossible to buy a Bob Ross painting. And if you've bought one, it's yeah. almost definite that it's fake. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, that is, you're right, it's a little off topic outside of beer, but the only thing I I'll say about yeah. that is uh, <laughs> there are probably a lot of art students that could benefit from a scholarship that, you know, sell all that, turn it into cash, it becomes a foundation. Yeah. The art still exists. When, when Somebody still a, has it, can still appreciate it. Like but, what my wife pointed out, he died at 52 yeah. of lymphoma. Yeah, like those paintings could. I mean, oh, yeah, put it towards a cure yeah, for, like, for that. I yeah, mean, like I don't know. donate to Le- Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, but I think this is a, this is a really good uh, breaking point. We're going <laughs> to stop. Uh, Why didn't I finish my a, story? Oh, sorry. We well, left like, off at Clipper uh, City. <laughs> yes, well, no, how did I become no, a bird? No, 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 no. It's not, not completely stopping. We're going to uh, st- take okay. a break to thank our sponsors. Oh. And then we're, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think you brew at, a, at Clipper City. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break, um, so I, mainly so I can take off uh, my headphones and wipe the sweat away uh, real quick. <laughs> and uh, thank our sponsors, then we'll get back to the evo- how did you leave Clipper City to come work for the Phil Bowers empire of brewing. (laughs) (laughs) A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. First, I just want to point out, I successfully poured three glasses out of that crowler without spilling any of it. No, that's fantastic. I think that is a first for me. <laughs> it's not one, not. All right, so you were, um, you were brewing at Clipper City. How, lo- how long were you there? Uh, let's see. I drove back from California in December '94, and then I started at Brewers Alley in September '97. So whatever that is, just shy of three years, I guess. Okay. Total. Um, but I was actually working for Hugh before that. So April '94 really is when I started. So three and a half years or thereabouts. Um, but yeah, I just only reason why I said it. Let me finish my story because yeah. I have this tendency to just go on and on and on, and then it's like <laughs> you go in these rabbit trails. Yeah, but yeah. I do want to like get. To the point that where I've been the last 20-something years, I mean, it's a big part of the story. Yeah. So you already got the answer to the question, how did I become a brewer? You know, so you see that. Well, how did you become a brewer where you are now? Well, I was at Clipper City, you know, working my tail off, getting, I mean, frankly, kind of burned out a little bit. I um, heard you and Hugh had a huge fight. Who told then, you that? I'm kidding. I completely <laughs> made that up a second ago. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> now, like I said, Hugh, Hugh did a lot for me. He took a real big risk on me, and I owe that man a lot. Um, 
you know, so, but you know, I was at a point I was, I was, you know, kind of getting my butt kicked, just a startup brewery, a lot of pressure, you know, and then at the same time that this kind of like bubble was bursting and it was a hard time in the mid nineties for, for craft brewers. And no doubt, ask anybody who lived through it and they'll tell you. Yeah. Um, well, even like um, that the movie uh, Beer Wars, I think is the name of it. Yeah. Where, um, I never actually did see it. My wife recorded it for me, it, and we just haven't gotten around to watching it. It's really, it's Too really busy good. Brewing beer. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I, mean, I, th- I would say it's still relevant mm-hmm. in today's landscape. Um, I think they focus too much on the gimmick beer okay, yeah. that the woman from sam adams was where it was called moonshot where it had uh, caffeine yeah. added to it right. like i don't even think it was enough caffeine to make a difference it right. was it was pure gimmick um wow. but they, they talked to um uh, crap i can't greg no at uh, uh, the founder of stone why can't i remember his name oh uh, greg cook and, yeah uh, greg Steve cook. wagner they, they were talking to greg cook and he talked a lot about surviving through the 90s mm-hmm. uh, yeah it, yeah they I'm sure they had battle scars. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I just, um, I, at that point in time, uh, there was a, a guy I knew who's a brewer down in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were, were keeping in touch. He went through the program at Davis. And uh, anyway, we were talking one day, just telling him, I wasn't really complaining. I was just saying, yeah, man, it's a lot of long hours. And, you know, I'm just like, I don't know. It's just, it's just tough. And, you know, doing it for the love of it. So that you just, you don't see an end in sight. You just, you just keep going, going, going. And, um, he's like, you sound like you're about to get burned out. I said, really? <laughs> I had no idea. And looking back on it, like my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, she was like, yeah, you were kind of a jerk back then. <laughs> I was like I short-tempered. Didn't, I didn't really like you. I was about to Well, I mean, not like that, but <laughs> yeah. it was just like, I could tell you were like really pushing yourself. And I mean, it's good to, you know, get pushed. It's good yeah. to stretch your limits. And, and you learn a lot about yourself. And th- those, th- that's one thing for sure. Is the most difficult times of your life is when you learn the most about yourself. No doubt. Uh, but anyway, just sharing this conversation, he's like, this, this friend of mine down in Atlanta, he was like, you know, um, we just had the, the folks from uh, DME come through. They're a, a brewery equipment uh, manufacturer. And um, he's like, yeah, they were bringing this, this guy through who's looking at you know, buying a DME system. They wanted to look at ours, but the day before, they had been in Frederick at Brewers Alley because yeah. that was a DME system. So um, my friend Doug, he, he was like, you know, they were talking about this guy up there in Frederick, who sounds like he needs some help. He's, you know, brewing long hours, long, you know, starting at four in the morning and trying to finish the brew in time to open up for lunch and running the restaurant. And like, I mean, he was talking about Phil. Yeah. It's funny. The description he gave me was like this frazzled guy, like just at the end of his rope. Just Which because, is re- like preposterous. Oh, he's, he's so mellow. Yeah, like, it's, like, it's, a, it's a preposterous <laughs> yeah, idea yeah. that Phil has mm-hmm. ever been frazzled right. or, or at least shown it outwardly. Right, right. <laughs> well, but don't but don't set him off. You don't yeah. want to be on that side. But guess I've never I've never yeah, done no, that. So he, he's very fair and, <laughs> and very patient. Has a lot of forbearances, no doubt. But but my point was like he was working his tail off because you know he opened up this brew pub. No restaurant experience prior that, that I know of. He worked at Brownies. Yeah, he worked in IT. Yeah, right. And Brownies, <laughs> Brownies Liquors on um, uh, East Patrick. And, I mean, you know, so he was doing it all. And it was just a lot. And so, anyway, my friend Doug, he's like, you know, maybe she just give a guy a call. Just see see what, you know, see what he's got. And I was like, I don't, I don't know, man. I got, it's a good gig here. Like, you know, I like working here. I'm, you know, doing a lot of good work. It's like lifting this thing up off the ground and getting it started and it's so cool to be part of the 
ground level and on and on and on. He's like, just, just call him. I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> so got a hold of Phil, set up an interview. We got to talking and I thought to myself, well, it, it is busy, but not like what I'm in the middle of right now. It was really, really busy. Um, and, and so, he, you know, he, he described to me what he was interested in, which was somebody to help him um, as an assistant. He had had somebody who ended up going to uh, Cleveland for this brewery called Wallabies. They're now out of business, but he, he left Brewers Alley. And, but he was uh, an assistant. I can't remember if he was full-time or not. But as he's describing his position, I, I said to myself, well, as far as I know, I don't have to leave Clipper City. I mean, for all I know, he was ready to fire me. I don't know. <laughs> I would like <laughs> well, to think from what not. I understand, <laughs> you were on your <laughs> right. But uh, but as far as I could tell, it was like you know, as long as I want to you know stay there, keep working hard, and keep delivering, um, I didn't have to leave. And so I thought, well, to leave that to go to be an assistant. I mean, that, I'm not denigrating an assistant's position, but just with my experience, I felt like it was a little bit of a step back. So. Anyway, um, what I said to him was, well, I, I get what you're describing, but looking around, what it seems like to me is it could be helpful for you to hand this off to somebody me that, that you can try. Well, and honestly, <laughs> at that point, I wasn't, I wasn't specifically thinking of myself. I was actually just making a general statement yeah. that, that if it, and my statement was that if you can hand over the brewing side of things to somebody who's competent, you can trust in, that you know you can just let go and say, do, go, make it happen, and then you can focus on running the restaurants, that to me, from my perspective, would be a better solution than what you have right now. And, and that was just what I was putting out there. Now, in the context of that, I thought, well, if, if that's something that he goes for and sees me as potentially that person, then, then great. If not, no, no big deal. Like I, you know, it wasn't like a, a hard pitch. It was just, yeah. I kind of, I felt bad was, for him. Like he was, you know, he's struggling. He was like trying was, to, was Phil looking for someone or did well, you just call he, him out? Like he, was he a, didn't know he needed someone. Well, no, but he did. Can, he, he, this guy that was there before his, his assistant had just left. Like, I don't oh, know, that's it was a few, you, it was a few yeah. weeks prior. Okay. So he was trying to like get it done. And I guess he must've said something to these folks that were coming through from DME. Like, oh man, it'd be good to find some help. And I'm, Juggling because it was enough where they mentioned something to my friend, like yeah. you know, 800 miles away or whatever. And, um, and so anyway, you know, we left like, okay, um, you know, good conversation. We left part of ways or whatever. And then like a couple of days later, he said, you know, I'd like to call you back up and have you meet my brother. And we got to talking and I guess they liked the idea I put forth. And they said, if you want to be that guy, then, you know, the job is yours. And I was like, wow, really? <laughs> I didn't expect it. I mean, yeah. The, the fact that I was fortunate yeah, enough. Yeah, right. You didn't I, expect that you would get exactly what you described to I don't, him. I mean, honestly, I like. I feel <laughs> like I'm, I was fortunate enough when I was out in California. Like, I left. I remember Hurricane Andrew down in Florida. And then, like, the next day I hit the road and I was driving up to California. I left. And I didn't know if I was ever coming back to Maryland. I had no idea. So I felt very fortunate that I had that opportunity yeah. to come back to Baltimore. It's where my mom is from. You know, like, I mean, I'm a native Marylander. I grew up in PG County and. Like that was fantastic. I was it's like, interesting too, though. It, it's quite possibly that you you may have changed the the complete tra trajectory of like and you kind of laughed at the mm -hmm. Phil Bowers Empire, but I mean, he kind of does <laughs> have. And it, he operates what five restaurants now uh, and a, a full production brewery. Like 
it well, may if without handing off the brewing side completely to someone else it may not have grown to the point that it did i mean he still may have right. eventually right. done it anyway right. we, I mean, you obviously can't predict that yeah. but it that may it could have helped with the the catalyst of it because i i if i if I remember correctly, like he was mainly interested in brewing mm-hmm. for opening Brewers well, Alley. He's a homebrewer yeah, first. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it was more of like the laws and things at the time that it would make much more sense to open a pub than than to open yeah. a production brewery. Yeah, that's a really good question. I honestly don't know a whole lot about those early deliberations because yeah. I wasn't there. You yeah. Know? Um, but I, the only reason why I chuckle is just because like, I know, knowing Phil, like he wouldn't be like, oh, oh this is become, my empire. Yeah, I mean, he would no be way. Completely, <laughs> he would be completely yeah. against that yeah, term. He'd be like, give someone else the credit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's just how he is. You know, um, but yeah, it's it's that's that's a real possibility. I, the only thing I'll say about it is that I know he he does have a good eye for for good people, and mm-hmm. and he likes to to hire somebody who who he has confidence will do the job that's expected, and in that way, he doesn't have to do it for them. Like he's totally not a micromanager yeah. and that's by design. You know, it doesn't make any sense to hire somebody. You have to then micromanage because yeah, why'd you, you hire just do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he recognizes talent and I'm not saying, I mean, I'm like, you know, anything kind of sounds great. like you are. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying like I, it was an opportunity. It, it popped up and, and like I said, I wasn't like rushing out of Clipper city or anything. It was just, my friend encouraged me like, man, you sound like you're getting burned out. Like try to f- find an option. So, in this whole process, when he offered me that job, um, actually, I think it was, it was right before, might have been right before, I, it was so long ago, I can't remember for sure, but I, I contacted uh, Mark Cease, the guy I was working with at Wild Goose, who was the head brewer there, uh, and I was like, Mark, it, what do you think? Like, is this is this a step back? Because, I mean, at that at that time- well, Yeah, it's a fraction I, of the size right, of what I didn't, Clipper like, City would have right been. Right out of brewing school still, like, you know, it was only a couple- so that was like a three barrel system. A seven barrel. Seven okay. barrel. It's oh, a three barrel now. Um, but where I, is that seven seven barrel system now? Um, we sold it to uh, Coney Island Brewing, who then I'm trying to remember. I don't know what happened to it after that. I think they might have sold it to Old Saratoga, who's now out of business. I think, as far as I know. So I, I lost track of it. Right. I mean, it did a lot of good for us over yeah. the years, and I got a soft spot in my heart for that system. Made a lot of good beer. You know, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's water under the bridge at this point. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess, um, I don't know. I, I, um, I look back at that, that time and it was, it was a pivotal moment, you know, and, and then, like I said, I didn't have to leave Clipper city. Um, it's just this opportunity was there. It popped up and I, and I was a little bit, I was unsure. I, I didn't know. I mean, at that point in time, I was, still relatively new to the industry and i thought well you, know, you got the production only facility like that has potential for a lot more volume and that that's what i was trained for you know I was yeah trained for like big churning out a bunch yeah of i mean like beer. my <laughs> friend scott that is now at anchor i mean he was at anheuser bush for all those years from brewing school until recently started to anchor so like that's what our training is in brewing beer for millions um i chose a different path just just for me personally it felt like a better fit um but I, I just I didn't know enough to say what well was going to a brew pub a step back or not. Yeah. And so I shared that with with my 
friend Mark from Wild Goose, and he was like, are you kidding me, man? That sounds like a retirement gig. You should go for it. <laughs> and it's turned out to be anything but that. But but the point is, like, it was a lot more stable. Um, there was more opportunity for creativity, not so much that, that, that I wasn't allowed that at Clipper City, but it was that the nature of the demand, the volume, the, the like, just go, go, go. I mean, at the brew pub, it was always, it was opportunities all the time. And I went yeah. through a lot of different recipes and seasonals. And I think at the, uh, the 10th anniversary, um, it was, it was a composite recipe of all the seasonals I'd ever done before. And I thought oh, cool. this has a chance <laughs> of like going really wrong, like being muddy, kind of like discombobulated, not harmonious, but it actually worked really well. Um, but it just, that opportunity to really cut my teeth creatively was something and looking back on i'm so glad i made the move and and i mean i wish all the best to heavy seas i'm not knocking that it's just that at that point in time at that stage in the life of of the brewery there i, I didn't have that i didn't know that i didn't have it as much i mean certainly we had creativity we were creating new recipes but it wasn't at the pace that you have at a brew pub yeah so in a yeah, way a much smaller system with yeah. like just constant uh, customer base that's drinking everything that you're making exactly and immediate <laughs> feedback i mean i yeah. can't tell you how many times i mean i would be up on top of the brew deck and somebody would be walking past the brew house and then turn around pop open the the door and say hey man that's that's the best colch i've ever had or, or whatever like i mean i got all kinds of comments and that, that was kind of you know that's rewarding you know it's so um like i didn't i didn't get that as much at, at Clipper City, and you know, you're at a beer festival. Yeah, sure. You need to get people telling you how good your beer is, and probably every brewery's hearing that, you know, yeah. to a degree. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone you know, walks up to a brewery's tent at a festival uh, like this is I've, the worst beer I've ever had. I've heard about it happening, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're right for the most part. Um, so, it w my point with all this is that it was a um, it was a major transition because um, it, <laughs> the timing of it was was tough because Phil was he really needed me to start, and I needed decompression so I, I i had two weeks notice and then i had two weeks of vacation where i, I broke in a brand new car the little toyota tercel i drove out to ohio and visited <laughs> my relatives out there visited wallabies and the guy that used to be phil's assistant um and just decompressed a little bit and that was a month time before i even started so i kind of feel bad it was only two weeks notice for you because it you know, put him in a, in a tough spot, but fortunately there were good people there. And, and I felt very comfortable with, with the folks that I, I mean, I had hired them. I mean, with, with Hugh, we, we both interviewed him, but, uh, what was your title at Clipper city? His brewmaster. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the guy that, that took over the operations of, of the brewery was Scott Dietrich and I had hired him. He came and he came from, uh, Rochester, um, University of Rochester, and he was at um, uh, Rohrbox. He had some experience there. Um, and I was just, I was really impressed with him and um, his ability to kind of get a quick grasp of the situation and, and make a decision and just go to a solution and get it done. Um, I could tell just in the interview that he had that um, ability. So by the time I left, he was in a position to, to basically just hand this over and I don't, after I left, I don't know exactly what happened, um, but ultimately he became the person who was, who was running the show. And now he's at Victory as director of operations. Oh, so cool. um, it's kind of cool to see like, yeah, I recognize that yeah. early on, you know, he was a young <laughs> kid, yeah, like out of, out of school still, you know, and, 
and there he is now. He's you know he's doing great things for uh, Ben how long How long had Brewers been open when you started there? It would have been a year and a half. So it was okay. spring of 96, and I started in September 97. Okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, it was, it, was, it was tough, but it's like in life things come up. you got to make a decision, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's tough. But I, I'm glad I did it. I mean, I, maybe me leaving gave opportunity for those behind me at, at Clipper City, and then starting at, at Brewers Alley, it created new opportunities for myself and others who now work with me and, and for my boss, Phil Bowers, he's, like you say, he's been able to do a lot of really cool things in downtown Frederick. And hopefully, I, you know, to a degree like what you say about as far as relieving the brewing duties, maybe I've, you know, hopefully I've had something to do with that, you know. But I, I really quickly, I made the job my own um, because I understood he was doing it. Like he was making all this beer. He was the one. He was the brewmaster. He was the one yeah. doing it all. And he was handing this over to me. So the last thing I wanted to do was come in and say, well, we're going to change this and we're going to do that. Yeah. And we're going to, you know, I, I didn't have that hubris. I was just like, the very first thing I want to learn is exactly what he's doing and repeat that and just and keep delivering on the expectations that exist right now with all the beer drinkers that are coming to this pub. Are there any recipes that are exactly the same as they were back then? There's a few that are really close. Um, there's a few that have had some changes. And when I say that, I'm not talking about anything massive. Like probably the biggest change was with the Brewers Alley IPA, which is more of a, like an English style IPA. Yeah. So in, in some ways to, to the, the, the fanboy culture of today is, oh, it's not an IPA. Well, it's I'm a lot closer. Actually, actually <laughs> to the fanboy culture, everything's an IPA I'm, now. Right, well, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's a new word for beer. Um, but but my point is, like, that is definitely got a different flavor profile than yeah. what today a lot of times is recognized as IPA. But with that beer, the only real changes um, had a little bit to do with um, varieties um, that were being used in the, the late edition in the kettle. When were those the, changes made? Probably about a year and a half in for me. Oh, okay. So, like... I think that my palate just changed. Because yeah. I used to not like that beer at all. Really? But, like, that was when I was just pure hop head. I, okay, like, the yeah, hoppiest. yeah. But right. now, if I'm someplace, I, I can order it, and I, yeah. I'll enjoy and, one. But, and there's a place for all of it. Yeah. You know? It, I understand. Well, it just wasn't, it wasn't, like, the wasn't style. Wasn't what you were that, looking for. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I was looking more for a West Coast yeah, yeah. style IPA, not which which we're about to put in cans from Minoxi, by the way. So. Oh, nice. which one? Uh, Wait. The West Coast West Coast IPA. What's the name? Is it just named? Yeah, West it's Coast called. IPA? We couldn't come okay. up with any more creative. I, I have a hard time with names, <laughs> but, um, not only remembering people's names, but you know, just coming up with yeah. names is really tough. But uh, I think I've had that one. Yeah, we've, we've done believe, it before. Yeah, yeah. I, I and I remember liking it. Yeah. Although I don't know that I've ever had a Minoxi beer that I didn't like. Well, so you. actually, so that's another thing too. I mean, you 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 made the beer popular you made beer popular enough at brewer's alley that it couldn't mm -hmm. keep up you couldn't even come right. close to keeping up with demand yeah, anymore so, when it, when I so an entire another brand yeah. was was birthed <laughs> was was grown out of necessity mm -hmm. to to open because of maryland's redid but although maybe that those laws are good because you it it grew it created another brand that allows you to do because it and maybe I'm wrong in saying this, but mm -hmm. in my my opinion, it looks like Brewers Alley is traditional um, style beers. Like it's it's what what people would call beer. Like non craft beer drinkers <laughs> would, would, would would like say that I want a beer. Mm -hmm. Brewers Alley is going to deliver that. Um, but out of the necessity for more capacity, created Monoxy Brewing mm -hmm. Company, which is more 
in the experimentation, uh, current craft beer trends all fall under that brand. Is that accurate or is that? Um, a little bit. I mean, it, it, there's actually more, there's more innovation at, at Brewers Alley, I think, than sometimes we get credit for. Um, because, like I said earlier, I've done a lot of recipes there over the years. Um, I mean, even like the, the whole. Well, I would say historically, yeah, absolutely, there was innovation. You were, but in the current, I, I mean, I guess the current trends of craft beer, yeah. what would be considered innovative now? Mm hmm. It seems to fall more in under the Monocacy brand. Well, and 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 Brewers Alley has done a lot over the years to to deliver on very well executed renditions of classic beer styles. There's and, no doubt. That's sort of like the bedrock. Yeah, of I our mean, identity. people and, love the Brewers Alley Kolsch and yeah. the, the Brewers Alley Oatmeal Stout. Yeah, which we we brought by the way. <laughs> uh, but it's funny too because a lot of brewers love the. I can't tell you how many times I've been at, at beer festivals where. Like, especially towards the end, uh, somebody will come up to the booth, you know, another brewer, they'll be like, oh, man, I just had, I just had enough of these double IPAs and barley wines <laughs> as well. Like, can I just have your Kolsch? Like, they know, people seek our Kolsch who are yeah. in the industry, your brewers, and really appreciate its elegance, its beauty, the ease with which you can consume it. And, like, I'm What's such the, a Is huge... that still your number one seller? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and I, I guess all I'm trying to say about this this issue of, of innovation it um it just it just has more to do with perspective and orientation than it does um pace or intent of of innovation and and i mean what what is innovation anyways i mean in a, in one sense you really with beer being a ten thousand year old plus craft i mean what really is new the cool thing is there actually are some things that are new yeah but in the sense that brewers have always done the best with what they have at hand, materials that they can get their hands on to deliver fermentability and pleasant flavor. Like, we've been doing that for thousands and thousands of years. Like, what's new? We just, what's new is the fact that we have a little bit of a bigger palette with which to, to paint from, you know? Yeah. So there's things that exist now that can be considered a, a, a legitimate raw material that didn't exist 150 years ago or even 10 years ago, potentially. You know, so like you said earlier, at the end of the day, if somebody enjoys it, they like it, like that, okay. You know, who's who, why criticize that? You know, it's just the beer drinker is the boss. You know, like the, the individual who comes up and says, you know what, I just worked my tail off this whole week. Maybe even they say, I hate my job. I'm going to part <laughs> with this hard-earned money in exchange for what you just poured your blood, sweat, tears, and toil into. Yeah. And I expect that's going to deliver. Like, as long as that exchange is fair, who's to say? Now, you might come up with the weirdest of weird, and it appeals to one person. Great for that one person. <laughs> Are you going to, like, support a brewing staff no. with that? No. <laughs> but where, who's to say where, that, where you draw that line? What if you appeal to 100 people, to 1,000, to 10,000? It's like it, there's no clear-cut answer. And, and that's really a cool thing about having started when I did in the brewing industry and, and being here now with, God willing, still years ahead, this, this state of affairs that we're in, I see people kind of lamenting. Oh, I don't know. What, what's happened to beer? I mean, it's not <laughs> the beer I knew in my youth. 
I mean, it's all it's, as long as it's beer. I mean, if it's yeah. if the fermentable extract uh, that that's in there is anything more than than uh, you know fifty percent something other than malt, then it's not beer. Like it ha- if it's if it's fifty percent or greater derived from malt, it's beer. Like just from the legal definition of it. Yeah. From the philosophical definition, well, I don't know, maybe. But at the end of the day, this beer, we should all be happy. We're selling more beer. Like, get over it. <laughs> so I, th- I think there are still some people who are confused about the relationship of Brewer's Alley and Monocacy Brewing Company. Yeah, really good question. Can, yeah. mm-hmm. can you explain that yep. dynamic and what wh- how, how do they relate to each other? Okay. Well, it's uh, two separate breweries, two licenses two manufacturing licenses of different types one's a class seven one's a class five um avail separation separate books separate accounting um it, maybe it's easier to understand in this way um you have Bruce alley uh bella pistaros aisha isabella's monoxy brewing like all these sister companies that are independent and um you know, depending on the licensing and the, and the, and the ownership, like they're all, there's not a, there's really not a lot of overlap. There's like individual names, like each, each liquor license, there's a different person that has the liability for that each liquor license, as you know. Um, and so it, maybe it's easier to understand in that respect. There are two separate companies, just like Isabella's and Aisha are two separate companies but the company I actually work for who cuts my paycheck is Fountain Rock Management. And that actually was created first when my boss, Phil, bought what used to be Old Town Tavern down in Gaithersburg. They went out of business, and he bought it and ran it as Summit Station. And we had actually we had a really good run. Um, I want to say it was about five years or so. And, um, and because of, like you were talking about with the, the laws, the alcohol beverage laws in the state of Maryland, um, there had to be this issue of, of, of veil separation, a clear, um, you know, distinct ownership group and all that. This, this management group had to be created to run these two companies. So there's the people that are actually the, the real key assets in terms of making it happen. But then there's the hard physical assets of, of the companies. Um, so all of us on the brewing team, we work for Fountain Rock Management. And we deal with, uh, you know, draft issues at all the restaurants. We, you know, like if there's a problem with the draft line, um, we deal with with server training at at all the the restaurants. Um, And we also brew a lot of beer at both locations. So one day we'll be brewing on the three-barrel system at Brewer's Alley, and the next day we'll be brewing on the 20-barrel system up in Minoxy. It's the same people, but it really is a different identity, a different business. They are clearly distinct from each other so i don't know if that clears it up at all but um the, maybe the, probably the origin maybe. of it really it goes back to what you were saying where so they're the same but different <laughs> no they, they are different <laughs> yeah. companies but they're the same people involved yeah and and um and really the way minoxy brewing uh even became a thing in the first place was 1.1 miles well, that's part of it, um, <laughs> which I'm not sure is even a thing now. But I, then, I, it, well, no, I think that only changed in the last session. Okay, well, cool. Yeah, it, up until the last year, yeah. that that was still a law. Well, what what was happening was Brewers Alley. So long before Monoxy was actually conceived, Brewers Alley was growing. You know, our demand for the beer exceeded 
what we were seeing at the pubs. So we were selling out to the trade, you know, some wholesale. And also the volume that we were selling at the pub was growing and growing and growing. And on the seven barrel system, I mean, I was pulling my hair out trying to like, we were brewing all the time. And so we finally were like, you know what, let's, let's take a crack at, at contract brewing. And Frederick Brewing Company at the time um, was who we, we went with. And we evaluated, you know, we, we talked to, to Stouts, we talked to Clipper City, talked to Old Dominion. Uh, Frederick Brewing had a lot of, you know, positives being really close and, you know, good quality control and all that. And so we, we uh, did Pilsner that summer with them, and it went really well. We liked it. Everything went, well, okay, let's start making some Kolsch. And then we started making Kolsch and IPA, our two best sellers. And that took a big load off, and I was able to do a lot more seasonals. And uh, so we were doing that for a little while. And then found, uh, uh, Frederick Brewing Company went out of business. Flying Dog took over and inherited that because, um, you know, when you buy a company, you inherit its assets Contracts. and its liabilities. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so and they honored, you know, that and, and we worked I'd, together. I completely forgotten about that. Flying Dog originally did contract brewing for yeah. uh, until they were they were hitting a capacity oh yeah yeah problem. they got to the point where they just they just couldn't accommodate it anymore and they were good about it they didn't like pull the carpet out from underneath us we we had plenty of time to talk about it and say yeah. look you know we can we can still do it for a little while longer let's slip in a few batches here and there but it was starting to get less and less frequent and I understood um, and so. We found this site uh, where Minoxi Brewing is. We also had looked at the, uh, the old Coca-Cola plant, which now has gone through a major transformation. Yeah. Um, basically, that would have been a anymore. cool spot, too. Yeah, there were some issues with the ceiling height, um, with the way yeah, we wanted to lay things out. Yeah, because more office space. There was a lot up front. There was, it was a production facility okay. for bottling. But anyway, we settled on the old Ebert's ice cream plant. And the idea there originally was we just we got to do something. we got to get to where we can we can take over basically the volume that we were contract brewing with with Flying Dog and continue on the seven barrel system at the pub at the pace we were doing. And so we basically ended up not contract brewing for ourselves because like I said, there are two separate businesses, yeah. but but we, we basically moved that volume to Monocacy. At the same time, we're getting ready to start a whole bunch of renovations at the pub. And it was like, you know what? We got this capacity up there. Um, this is an opportunity. We it didn't hit us right, right, right away. We didn't recognize, oh, you know, we could have another another whole line of beer, and we kind of saw a little bit of what was coming in terms of like the way things are now with the expectations of just what's new, what's new, what's new, constantly, just everything brand new. Um, and so we thought, you know, with the space we have up there, we could definitely do everything we need to do in terms of contract brewing for Brewers Alley as well as create a whole new line of beers that that can be freed a little bit from the expectations that over the years have been built up, but that we don't necessarily um, feel shackled by, but that just exist. Yeah. That, that Brewers Alley is a little bit more of, you know, the, the more um, traditional classic styles and, and all that, though that's not really the case. But we, we knew that that was something that could be an opportunity to just start bringing out beer um, that, that, didn't really conform to that um, identity and it became its own thing and and it kind of has grown and the very first beer we did was the riot rye which was you phenomenal know, it, thank you <laughs> i appreciate that it is rye beer i hadn't done that yet a recipe at, at brewer's alley all these years and 
I, I really, I really first got introduced to that style in, um, I think it was summer of 93 at the, what I think it used to be called the Small Brewers Festival in Portland, Oregon, when I was still a student at Davis. We drove up I-5 and spent uh, a weekend at this festival, and there were rye beers everywhere. Like, every brewery had a rye beer. And later I heard that it was because Anchor Brewing had contracted a whole bunch of rye malt for uh, Old Potrero or whatever. Like, And there was this glut, like, it was all this rye model the markets uh, all these brewers getting a good price i don't know if that was actually the case or not that's what people told me but anyway i had all these rye beers i'm gonna brew that one day i want to and i started like cogitating on this recipe but just for whatever reason never had got it done and i was like you know the first beer we're gonna do as a monoxy beer i want it to be that rye beer that i've been dreaming about all these years and here it is <laughs> so um you know is that, that your best seller under the monoxy um, brand in terms of volume so probably probably is um yeah, I would say, yeah, probably is in terms of volume. Uh, the Brutus gets, when you say bestseller, best response elicited from the biggest fan, probably the Brutus. Well, yeah, I mean, people but, love yeah. Brutus. <laughs> no, I've seen I, people flip out about it. Like, I, yeah. mean, I, I really like that beer for sure. Um, Graham's a big fan. Right? Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. I'm not, I mean, I like stouts, but it's not really, mm-hmm. it's not a style I gravitate towards. So I appreciate and really like Brutus, but not as much as people who seek out yeah, stouts. Yeah. Well, to me, the, the beauty of Although that I did is, really like Ghost of the Ice Cream Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> we got a, um, a number of casts that we're doing each week for all of July for Ice Cream Month. Nice. So, yeah, you should come by. <laughs> um, but I, I guess d- describing a little bit of the history of how Monoxy was, was birthed out of just originally the need for Brewers Alley to be able to keep up, which we are doing. I mean, we're, we're doing fine. Like, you know, we're, we're selling more and more Brewers Alley beer and we're also selling more Minoxy beer and we're really driving things in the tasting room for a long time. It's kind of been quiet out there at the end of market street and yeah, people will sometimes go out of the way, sometimes not. And to me, I don't really see the location itself as a liability. I mean, a lot of people, drive and go to a brewery and drive home yeah you just you got to be responsible it's not like you're gonna sit there and have five pints on an empty stomach and jump in your car and speed home yeah but you know we got there's a food truck you get a meal you have a pint maybe two pints it's for some reason a hard location to describe people on how to get to well it won't be hard anymore with a big orange wall it's oh, going to have well, a beautiful logo on good. there. Yeah, see, so. then that'll be easy. Just like just driving until yeah. you see a big orange wall. Yep. But it, for some, like, there's no super identifiable yeah. landmark nearby that people universally know. Except the flying barrel. But the Humber shop, they got like this big sign, yeah. on the front, which is cool. That's good. I mean, it, but like, if you're describing to someone who has no idea of the area, they usually don't know. They just drive right past it. Yeah. So it's for it, it's always, I always end up landing on. Just drive down Market Street. Yeah. If you get to an intersection, you went too far. Right. <laughs> well, I like <laughs> to tell north people. north on Market. Um, it's, it's a number the of fountain people. works, too. Yeah, yeah. There. I do that a lot, too. That ornamental fountain out front. Yeah. Those beautiful shade trees. They're the original trees, too, from when the building went up in the first place. We have a picture from, like, 1930 or 29 or whatever it was oh, when wow. we built it. And these tiny little saplings in there. That's those beautiful lindens or whatever they are. I don't know what they are, but... They're really, really nice shade trees. But a lot of times I'll tell people we're right across the street from Dublin Roasters. And oh, yeah, I know them. And yeah, that's <laughs> some, a lot of people do know where Dublin yeah. Roasters is. But even a lot of people don't know where that is yeah. either. So if they still had the big, huge Coke bottle 
on the oh, bottom yeah, of the yeah, plant. Yeah. That would help a lot as a reference. Well, but. our orange wall now matches almost the uh, Triangle Motors big orange triangle. Oh, nice. <laughs> I didn't realize it until I saw it go up. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Wh- which so, wall is it? Um, it's so when you when you first pull in and you're looking at the front of the building, it's on the right. Okay. It's where they used to have two big milk silos. As best I can tell, it's what that was. There's like some piers underneath there that okay. look like they're built for weight. Um, and, you know, when it was a, a ice cream dairy, yeah. uh, there was milk silos out there, as best I can tell. So that's all orange now, or it's going to be orange? It is orange, yeah. Okay. I haven't driven <clears throat> there, there, The image that's that going on, it is yet to come, but it's it's on its way. Okay. What's It'll it be very. Be? Is it a surprise? I should leave it as a surprise. Okay. I, I was told this morning what it's going to be, but uh, it's going to look cool. I, you're going to recognize, <laughs> oh, there's a brewery in there. Okay. Is it a hop? <laughs> no. I mean, they Maybe. exist in the beer that might be evident <laughs> in, the, in the image. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what is the – well, actually, why don't why pour these? What are some – so in reference to this will probably be released in about three weeks from now. <laughs> So we have a backlog of recordings. Um, oh, okay. Do you right. have anything exciting coming out? New beers, obviously the West Coast IPA and cans, which yeah. I'm excited to <laughs> finally see Minoxi Brewing beers and um, Brewers Alley beers and cans. Yeah, we got the uh, Brewers Alley Hefeweizen in cans the off, high, off for the summer. The newly named High Wheel Hefeweizen. Yeah, yeah. Well, because the, the High Wheel race yeah. downtown, you know, that big uh, High Wheel bike we got yeah. in the opera room at the Brewers Alley. Another thing about Phil is he is a great supporter of um, cycling in Frederick. Oh yeah, right. Well, and and really all things community. Like he, I mean, he's deep. Frederick. Yeah, like he's every, fourth, yeah. fifth generation. Oh, Frederick he's County. old town yeah, Frederick. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he's got an extensive network of, of friends and supporters and people that that love us and that I greatly appreciate because you know they help keep me in a job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I I do my level best to deliver. So what are some exciting beers coming out? Um, well, at Minoxi, so West Coast in 16-ounce uh, cans. Um, and then uh, one that we're going to release for the anniversary. At, um, it's kind of a fun name, uh, Rico Guave. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so um, it's a, there's a guava, uh, a lot of guava. In Actually, there. yeah, so this and, this will probably come out maybe the same week as the weekend of the anniversary okay, party. Yeah, so August, talk about that. August yeah. 3rd. It's our seventh uh, anniversary. God, I hope it comes out before then now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this, this. Yeah, uh, this yeah. episode. Uh, okay. Well, um, we'll try to make sure it okay, does. Okay, that's cool. I mean, you know, if it doesn't, then they can go for the eighth anniversary. You yeah. Know? So, um, we'll but, just say uh, hypothetically, this weekend is the anniversary party, August 3rd. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, coming up soon. Um, and then, um, yeah, so then uh, and at Brewers Alley, we got an anniversary coming up there as well that's the 31st so in the same week um now that beer for the anniversary it was it, <laughs> this whole conversation about like how things are changing and everything's new and everything you know ipa is a new word for beer blah 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 like all this stuff we decided to go a little bit different route with the anniversary beer and i thought it'd be really fun to do a single malt and single hop beer and focus on elegance and beauty and simplicity and in form um and it's it's going to be a delightful beer that, well, we use, it's a Brees uh, full pint malt. So there, it's a single varietal malt that's done in a small batch malting. Um, so a little bit more uh, expression of flavor for the malt than what you get, you know, from like mass produced. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, it's just like yeah. when you have that small batch, you do have the ability to kind of 
tweak the, the temperature and humidity settings and get a little bit more, you know, richer um, expression of, of like bready notes and biscuity and, and those kind of really nice malty notes. And then the, the hop is Australian Summer, which is a really nice hop. I, I've never heard of that. Oh, one. yeah. I love that hop. Um, it's a delightful hop. And it's summer, you know, yeah. so it's like a natural fit. Um, and, uh, and so that'll be coming out. Um, so the 30, yeah, it'll be week after next, I guess it is. I, at some I point, yeah, somewhere know. on the calendar yeah. that I have to reference <laughs> five times a day. Use Google or uh, Facebook right. or something. You'll find the information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's there. Um, well, uh, and then we had, we had, we just, we always got something going on. There's like, I, I need like this, this online shared recipe book thing on google drive to, just to keep up like i <laughs> asked me what the hop is I, I can't remember we've got so many we're playing with you know so we just we're always trying new things that's and we, we really we've always done that <laughs> yeah you know uh, absolutely yeah you definitely and the blank slate series mm-hmm. is awesome so yeah um well graham is getting antsy i know want, i'm sorry yeah. you got a game to go to <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm i it, it finally, thankfully, I remember that this is oh, yeah. actually, so this is the whiskey that you helped choose the hop blend that was used oh, yeah. for it to be infused in. That's right. So it if was, you don't uh, like it, it's your fault. Ken, uh, Ken, uh, East Kent Goldings? Is that what it, it was? UK Goldings yeah, and yeah. Meridian Hops. That's right. Yeah. Meridian, we use that in the Riot. And uh, that's a really cool hop. It, it A few years back, it almost got to the point where they were, the growers were going to stop growing it. But it's oh, kind of really? made, yeah, hmm. made a comeback. And we were one of the early adopters of it, which... I don't know, not like that was a thing. It was just, oh, we really like this hop. Let's try it. And it worked really well with the flavor profile of Riot. And um, the people we buy it from, so Indie Hop in, um, in Portland, Oregon. And they said their brewers, a lot of times they've heard this from more than one uh, brewer. says, yeah, it's like the MSG for, for beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because when um, Braden from McClintock and I yeah. were talking, like, what kind of hop should we use in this? Like, neither one of us really had a strong idea what we should like. Well, let's ask Tom. He'll know. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure, so, man. <laughs> so, so actually, if when this is released, it's going to finally be released uh, this coming December. Okay. Uh, there will be about five hundred or so bottles of it. Um, anyone who doesn't like it, feel free to contact Tom and let him. It'll be his fault. Right. <laughs> uh, he did choose. <laughs> he advised us on the hops <laughs> to use. Nothing, so. nothing to say about the barrel it went into, how it was distilled, anything else. No, just the hops. One, <laughs> it'd be one hundred percent the fault That's of so the hops. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, thank you for coming and telling your story. Oh, thanks for. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.